Hello, Jeff Watts here, and welcome to another momentous episode of the Agile Pubcast. This episode was recorded in front of a live audience of over 50 people in Leeds at the newly converted Infinity Arms. We were honoured to have representatives of the historic houses of York, Leeds and Newcastle, among others, under the same roof to help us discuss topics such as how to make decisions, the process of recruiting scrum masters, whether a scrum master should be technical, and selling Agile to those outside of a software environment. Thanks to everyone involved with the Agile in Leeds meetup group and Tony Richards for their organisation and collaboration. It truly was a very enjoyable episode to record. And if anyone out there would like us to discuss a particular topic or even host a live episode in their neck of the woods in the future, then please get in touch at the Agile Pubcast on Twitter. Thanks again for listening and I hope you enjoy the show. Cheers. Evening. Good evening. And good evening, Leeds. 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 Yes. We are in the Infinity Arms. The Infinity Arms. A regular well, it's a, haunt. It's kind of a pub, isn't it? It's kind of a pub. It's got a pubby yeah. feel to it. Well, I'm sitting at a pub bar. I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a one pump pub. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> and I've already had a pint of Leeds Pale. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're on to your second point. This is my second point, yeah. Well, we, yeah, let's set up, kill some time while you're fiddling with your wires. And I'm now drinking a bottle of Shambles. You're drinking Shambles as I'm well. I'm drinking Shambles. Um, see, this is proper York, only only made in, in one particular Shambles Tavern in York, I'm told. Proper York. Proper York. This is Shambles uh, Tavern Cider, which apparently, Tony tells me, Tony uh, informs me, this was... Inspiration. The, this the the street that this is in in York was the inspiration for Diagon Alley in Harry Potter. Mm. So there you go. And how does it compare to your normal size? And it tastes nice. And it tastes of apples. That's, yeah. my, that's my uh, <laughs> that's my review of that your, cider. Your, your cultured palate. <laughs> yeah. It's dry, sweet, bubbly. Don't know. Don't, don't know. know. Just, just tastes just cider. Four point eight percent. There you go. That's this quite is, strong. This actually, is darker than you'd normally see me drinking. Right? That is. Yeah. You don't like. Well, you normally like lighter ales. I'll drink anything, but. This is nice. It's it's heavier, heavier. I've got I've got an IPA lined up next. Steve's, Have you? Yeah. Steve's got me sourced me a nice IPA. There is uh, yeah. So many thanks to our friends at Agile and Leeds, and they've supplied quite a bit of alcohol, mm. which it's is slightly concerning. A couple of bottles, vo- couple of bottles of vodka. That's for you easy there. for you to say. <laughs> Half empty bottles of vodka. I haven't drunk any of that yet. Uh, all right. Yeah. So a lot of people here probably don't know what we're doing. Yeah. But we have to try and think of something to talk about. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're on the spot now. So, as people will know, there is no agenda. No agenda. We don't know what's coming next. So, what, what should we talk about? <laughs> we have something to talk about. Um, okay. How do we decide? How do we decide? Well, you need some options, but um, deciding is. Uh, we actually talked a bit about deciding today. We? we yeah, we did from a but not from a two people, more of a no, team, a team perspective. Yeah, coming to a decision. So this was to give a bit of con- we were doing some training today, and one of the parts of our course today was around um, how do teams decide what to do, especially for, for fairly difficult decisions. Well, it could be uh, anything. A process. Yeah, anything they need to make a decision on. Right. Where there isn't anybody in charge. Yeah. Who can say, all right, I've heard all your opinions, and here's the here's my decision. Mm. 
how does a team decide? What is the decision-making process? Isn't it normally, um, that's quite an uncomfortable meeting, I, I can imagine. For, yeah, I would say. Make some for a lot of people. Decisions, and we I think we tend to make decisions very quickly. If, if Take the easy option, take the quick, logical, fastest, most comfortable option. Well, a lot of it's down to getting rid of the anxiety of no decision. Mm. We don't like indecision. When there's no decision there, when there's uncertainty, that, that upsets people, makes them feel uncomfortable. So anything to get rid of that. How did they decide today? Can you remember? It took a long time to decide today, I seem yeah. to remember. Took um, a while. Yeah, and even, I think so. It's that, it's that peculiar kind of dynamic where we're in a public course and there's people that don't really know each other very well. Which is the quietest pub I've ever been in, to be honest. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> <coughs> ah, so they're still there. there they're still go. there. But um, people being very polite. There you go. Good work. Um, people being very polite, not really wanting to upset the apple cart. Yeah. Um, but um, again, not really challenge. Didn't really challenge each other. Didn't really love like like to enjoy disagreeing with each other. Mm. Which I think that's maybe a teams that are slightly more um, used to working together will be a bit more free to or or happier to disagree. Got past that. Yeah. Actually. How did you guys decide whether to come tonight? Beer. beer, free beer. beer. <laughs> so incentives. Yeah, the benefit of coming outweighed the cost of not coming, maybe. Okay. Any other decision-making techniques you've seen in teams? Dot voting. Dot voting. What do we like about dot voting? There's lots of ways of doing dot voting as well. It's not just a simple dot voting or There's not. like an algorithm, isn't there's, there? There's a science behind there's it. There's a science and like a, a third of mm. people plus two or something Which like I'm that. Which I'm not clever enough to know. No, but I, I should really should know that. But it's, yeah, there's, depending on the number of people, the number, number of options, the number of dots that you choose is, is, can be calculated, apparently. But also blind dot voting mm. or open dot voting. Because if, if you see what I voted on, then you might be influenced. Well, what, what if I don't agree with the dot vote system? What if it's like, if I still don't say, I don't approve, do I have a right to veto in a team? Should I be able to say, no, I don't like that? Well, I don't like using dot voting. Well, I don't, I don't like the decision the dot votes has told us. Um, well, I, I, for me, then, it's a two-step process. Do you agree with the rules of the game that we're going to play? Mm. Whatever the answer gives you, mm. do you agree with the process? Mm. And if you agree with the process and you buy into the process, then you've sort of lost your right to complain about the result. Mm. That's not true. <laughs> we try not to get too political. Somebody mentioned the B Sorry, word. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that idea of um, you know, democracy is the worst form of government apart from all the others. Yeah. You've got to be prepared. If you, if you agree to play the... And that's, that's kind of a, just a general team thing, isn't it? If you, whatever it is, working agreements, uh, meeting rules, whatever it is, if you agree that these are the rules of this team and I agree to be part of this team, then you're signing up to those rules. Mm. Um, but there are different... You can iterate on it. Mm. And you do see teams... Oh, you, were, you were a bit of a game player mm. back at BT. Mm. You'd, you'd hang back and wait and see what everyone else is doing before you yeah. commit yourself. Yeah see where the you know the cards were landing mm -hmm. um and so teams sometimes will iterate then and say well rather, if you've got three votes each rather than have all three votes at once have w one round mm -hmm. one vote each and then another round another vote each and maybe eliminate some options along the way yeah. say we can we can rule these out and now we vote again yeah yeah okay yeah so deciding is tough well we talked to the, the model that we 
introduced today, which we talk about a lot, is the Sam Kainer stuff, isn't it? Which has got a book title that I can't, I never remember. You did today. I probably won't be able to say it after half a pint of cider, I'll be honest. Okay. The Facilitator's Guide to Participatory Decision Making. Very good. That deserves a round of applause, isn't it? That one, very good. Um, yeah, and we, those are kind of, they give some principles about how you can involve more people in the decision making process. Well, yeah, there's, there's, so the, the principles are around increasing participation. Hmm. So if you've got a group and you want everybody involved, then how can you get everybody involved, make sure people are heard, whatever. We put those principles out there, not because they're principles that people should follow, but having some principles are probably a good thing, some rules, you know, guidelines, whatever you want to call them, for however we're going to interact with one another. But then his his sort of decision making framework is is a kind of variation of the fist of five, isn't it? He has naught to nine, mm. which includes a veto. Uh, to dis to display your level of support, mm. and I like that. Mm. I, well, I like level of support rather than yes or no. Yeah, and I think yeah, giving gradient yeah, um, gradients of agreement is is not, um, just a quick show of hands here. Um, how many of you, you guys use or are aware of the fist of five idea, that kind of decision-making consensus making? About half. Yeah. Okay. So a gradient. Mm. So five, five fingers on one hand, brilliant idea. That's one of mine. All right. Four fingers, probably one of Paul's. It's, it's okay. Jeff's holding up fingers right now. Four fingers, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll do the visual. For those watching I'll, in black and white. <laughs> I'll do the visual cues. The yellow is just behind the pink. <laughs> um, four fingers. Pretty good idea. Happy with that. Move on. Three fingers. It's all right. I'll support it. I'm not mad about it, but I can take it. I'll, I'll go with the team on that. That's okay. Two fingers means I'm not quite convinced. I need, and yeah, we, we, we choose carefully which fingers we use because you can't see that on the... Yeah, Jeff's not being abusive now to the crowd. So yeah. What's this symbol? Rock on. Horns rock. of rock. Horns of rock. Okay. Um, yeah. That mean convince me, you know, or, or I've got this concern, alleviate that concern, and I might get to three. But I'm not there yet. One finger means I you're probably wasting your time trying to convince me on this one. Uh, yeah, and but if we can all get to three, then as a team we've got consensus. We, we'll support it for the team. We'll take one for the team. And we usually say well, if you voted three fingers, then you you've lost your right to do the I told you so dance. Yeah when suddenly it turns out to be the wrong decision, it's no longer Paul's decision, it's still our decision. Um, and that, that sense of, again, buying into the process, if we can agree the process, mm. then the result is a little bit more palatable. I think we've mentioned this before, one of the teams I'm coaching, I've been coaching for, uh, use the, the occupy hand signals, if anyone's, I don't know if anyone's used that. Or, it's a nice way, and they, the reason why they chose to use it, I think it originally was a GDS idea, but, um, they found it was a great way that not everyone in their teams wants to be vocal about mm. a decision, and it's a way of speed. It was a way of speeding up decision making, without having to have everyone talk about it. So it's kind of a little bit in opposition to what Kane was suggesting about everyone having a voice. But yeah. it's kind of saying, um, if I'm okay with the decision, and I'll, I'll do hand signals now for, for, for the benefit of people on the podcast. It was this, it's kind of a waving finger signal, which some people use in terms of... For the benefit of the podcast listeners, that is generally a camp hello. Thank you. Uh, there you go. Uh, that means, I'm okay with that, that means this is a bad idea. So What does that, that mean? That means it's a bad idea. Yeah, I know, but what else does it mean? I don't know. You tell me, I don't know. 
It's kind of I'm playing a piano very weirdly. In very high elbows. Yeah, high elbows. Uh, this cool. means block. I'm crossing my hand. That means block. I don't mean this is a bad idea. We should we shouldn't do this. That type of thing. That means I have a question. Yeah. This is useless podcast material because people can't see what I'm doing. <laughs> but they can Google it. Yeah, they can Google it. All right. Any other good ways of teams making a decision? Open it up to the audience now. Any good ways of teams coming to agreement on something, deciding on something? Quick Roman vote. Just, really Just Roman, Roman voting. voting. Roman yes. Really okay. Mm. So yes or That's no, crazy. basically. Is it yes, no, maybe? It's yes, no, maybe. I don't care? Yeah. What's middle? Don't give a shit. Yeah. It's meh. 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 Okay. Yeah. Meh. Yeah. Right. Any others? I mean, we're trying, Leeds. We're trying. Yeah. yeah. Give us, give something back. Pass the cards. Talk Tony? us through that one, Tony. You have seven points. You put all the different decisions, the options on cards. You hand the cards out, and then members of the team pair up. And they decide amongst themselves, do they want to allocate one and six, two and five, so on and so mm. forth. You rapidly run around in rotations, and then you end up with a winning card. It's a priority. Yeah. like that. I, yeah, I like that. It's, awesome. mm. it's good. I, I learned that from Gene Spaker. Yeah. Although I got slapped down once by saying it was somebody else who came up with it. I thought it was Tiagi. Well, that's what I got slapped down for. But really? Yeah. She's All I can say... It. No, I don't think she was claiming it. I'm just saying that I learned it from Gene, but I okay. can't remember it. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, whoever... It's a good exercise. I think um, let's uh, open it up. All right. Let's um, <coughs> so let's just check. Let's do some. Yeah, we're, we're both on. We're good. Um, microphones are on. So we uh, at this point, Leeds, it's over to you. We have no idea what you're going to ask. We haven't got any plants in the audience. Feels like a magic trick at this point. Mm. But we don't know what's coming next. Does anyone have a question? And if you do, you can kind of motion to the two uh, wireless mics. There we go. Okay. What about bad ways of making decisions? So decisions that may be imposed or people who have very, very strong beliefs and they're going to try and railroad that through. Okay. Because plenty of ways of trying to come to a good consensus is more about maybe dealing with with when you have bad decisions that appear and are, well, okay. I mean, they seem bad to everyone. Yeah. There's, there's, there's lots of ways that we can go with that. The fir my first thing for me is we talked about democracy and consensus and they're two different things and generally the difference is is being heard okay so if I'm if I'm part of a team where we just vote and the majority wins I don't necessarily get heard I'm just my opinion has been cast as insignificant effectively whereas in a consensus approach I can air my views I can feel heard and I, I we can debate it and then decide as a group that weighing everything up we're going to go for this and having been heard I'm more likely to support the outcome um, it takes longer, yeah. Um, majority is quicker. Even quicker is I'm going to hear your opinions and make the decision for you. Even quicker is I don't care what you think. Here's my decision. Um, and I don't think any of those are necessarily bad. Mm. I think it's just contextual and what do you want from the result? Do you just want a quick answer or do you actually want engagement? Uh, if you know the right answer with a hundred percent certainty and actually you don't need anybody to support you or buy in then why waste time patronizing people by saying I'm going to ask your opinion when you know what the answer is going to be anyway if somebody told me I could ask your opinion but ultimately I know what the right answer is this is it and this is why I know it and this is why I'm making the decision in a way I'd probably think well, that's better than you wasting my time mm. me going through the motions I can understand the logic 
reminds me of a situation in Nokia, which is a while back, but there was a technical leader and a senior developer arguing about a certain implementation or a, a plan, a strategy that they were trying to, and they were just, they, was, they, they were never going to agree the two, between the two of them. It was quicker for them to actually do both. And I said, if you can come back to the, at the end of the day and prove one way that, that one of your ideas is the better one, and that is a better use of time than sitting uh, sitting in this meeting for four hours arguing about which one to do. And sometimes it's just about, it's, it's people do that just for bragging rights, to prove that their idea was the better idea. Yeah. Just try it out. Well, data can help. Yeah. Sometimes there's a situation where you can try more than one thing at the same time, right? Yeah. Um, I was going to say something then. It was going to be brilliant. Profound. Yeah, I've lost it. It'll come back when it's hungry. Um, but... Imposing imposing a decision, to, um, in general, these days, it's kind of a no-no, isn't it? It's kind of frowned upon, imposing a decision. But, you know, I work with a lot of product owners who they've got hundreds of decisions to make, and they can't open them all up to consensus. You've got to be, if you're opening up to somebody else's opinion, then you've effectively got to be open to the fact that they might reach a decision that you're not happy with mm. and if you're not happy to do that then don't go through the motions don't let the genie out of the bottle <coughs> David Cameron um, edit point <laughs> different question another question from someone else so my question's more about kind of getting agile out to people who are non software related people so I consider myself a bit of an agile advocate okay um, much a struggle though when I go to speak to people who aren't agile familiar and I have to give them articles about agile and things and all of it's software related <coughs> you know, even the agile alliance has it's all through its 12 principles has software this release mm. and so on. how then do you get around this barrier to kind of non software related people that say may work in your building that you want you know they could benefit from agile but the first stumbling block is always well this is software related how and then you've got to explain this and you've got to get past this barrier before you can show them the benefits of it or even get into any kind of form of agile it's like yeah. it's not just software related how do you get what would you say is the heart of agile if you had to explain agile to your to my kid <laughs> it's putting your mind on a board it's like just organizing really what you do in your day to day okay so it's basically been able to rather than have to sit there and kind of explain what's in your head and kind of go oh this is where I'm doing this and this is the state of this I would kind of say that at the heart of agile it's just been able to prioritize acknowledge and you know I work Kanban so it's all about getting stuff done and not being able to start in too much work so mm -hmm. it's been able to kind of you know that prioritize how does that help you how does it help on the day to day yeah, not having too much work in progress. How does that help you? It allows me to finish things. It allows Why is that important? Because it allows, well, again, it goes back to the software. It allows me to release. Oh, but forget software. But why is it important to you? Why is it important to me? Because ultimately I take pride in having finished something. That completion mm -hmm. is something that, I, and I found it in other jobs, usually non soft prior to being a software person. It, jobs where you're constantly dealing with emails and all of these kind yeah. of things. And you, you don't get that sense of completion from kind of dealing with micro tasks, mm -hmm. on a, you know, constantly micro tasking, but having one kind of nice task where you can say, that's done, that's finished, yeah. have a look at it. You get that kind of you, mini wins almost yeah. in a way. 
and it's a motivational thing yeah as well as the business value aspect of getting some whatever it is you're doing you're getting something valuable done quicker there's another benefit in terms of repeatability as well, which for a lot of people is a big bonus. Having confidence that on a regular basis I'm going to get something every two weeks, whatever it is. That sense of completion is a big thing for human beings. Um, one of the things I start with is, well, Agile didn't come from software. Software people stole Agile from somewhere else. I mean, Paul's just reminded me of a tweet that I put out recently, which says, explaining Scrum in two minutes, I don't think it takes two minutes. But it says, <laughs> Make the list of work that needs doing. Find someone who cares to put it in priority order. Set a time box to focus working on the list in priority order. Do some work. Inspect and adapt the work. Inspect and adapt the process. Inspect and adapt the list of work. Go again. And that, that can be anything. That's that continuous learning cycle. Yeah. So you, know, I, it's, you see kids who are doing, using an agile approach to their schoolwork. You know, I've I've said on record before, embarrassed myself about how we have you know we have a product backlog at home, yeah, and and everybody knows who the product owner is, all right, and and she prioritises ruthlessly, and she changes. She's got a very strict definition of done. Changes right? her mind a lot. Changes her mind, all right, um, but after 22 years, she's got a pretty good idea of my velocity, um, and you know, that list is there when I get back from Leeds. That list will be there. It will be longer. But she now knows that if, if she's got two IKEA cabinets to put up this weekend, that the, the lawn ain't going to get mowed. <laughs> All right? We know that. But if anything changes between now and then, the list will change. But so, yeah, go on. Go on. I was going to probably interject slightly and say the language as well isn't particularly attractive. The language, and that sometimes puts people off. and. When you're blinding people with the science and you're blinding people with terminology that scares them and sounds new and different. So we we talk a lot and we, we emphasize this as trying to practice, and you, you we can all practice this, about trying to sell the benefits of something without using the language that we're used to using. And it's amazing how many people st still stumble over mm. that now and struggle with that without we're talking about agile, without using the word agile. And it's quite tough. There's a question, there's a response to a question. Uh, I always like the definition from Dan North. So Dan doesn't mention anything to do with software yeah. or programming or anything. He says that agile is about sustainably reducing the lead time to business impact. Yeah. So going back to your example and in your point about you know let's strip the software out of it. Let's get let's get down to what actually is it doing. I think that's that's pretty powerful. And I think if we're trying to <coughs> convince people there's a different way to work, if we s keep rooting agile in software engineering. Yeah then it kind of just put people off. And you, if you, you can go to Kellogg's and you co can go to Kath Kidson and, and, and Calvin Klein, all these all of these places. We're are sponsored using by none of them. You're sponsored We'd by none of them. We'd love to be. We'd um, love to be sponsored, but, but we're not. But all of, all of these places are using Agile in, mm. in their product development or their marketing or their HR departments. All of these yeah. places are using it. It's just about stripping away the software yeah. uh, and getting back down to what are the principles, what's the mindset and values behind Agile. But that's and that, I think opinion. that relates to business. Yeah, so managers, leaders, anyone with a P&L, bank uh, balance sheet, things like that. That, but my wife would not understand the word. Oh, bless her, love her, <laughs> love you, darling. Uh, but that kind of language just wouldn't resonate with her at all. Um, teaching that, just that language. So you can you can think, know your audience. I think yeah. is what we're talking about yeah. here. And 
to, to, to follow on with Paul's point there of jargon can scare people, jargon can turn people off. Actually, another big part of this that we found is um, is actually the, the prospect of changing what we have been doing for a long time is kind of admitting that we were wrong. And admitting that you're wrong runs the risk of looking silly. So I might argue for a long time that and cling on to what I've been doing because I don't want that to, to be that vulnerable. So giving people the opportunity to, to do something different without losing face, I, th I think, is a big part of this. Mm, absolutely, yeah. I suppose another way to look at it is that you are being wrong quicker. Yes, we are being wrong quicker and that's less painful. Being wrong is still scary in a professional context for many people, um, reputationally and, and, and so on. So making it easy for people to take this. Especially in positions of power, or positions a bit at higher uh, ends of the organisation, that it's not okay to fail. It's mm -hmm. not, it's not, it's career limiting, yeah. isn't it? To many people to be seen as wrong or, mm -hmm. or changing the way that you work all the time and things like that. So it's, um, it's not always attractive. Good one. Thank you. Anybody else want to chip in? We can talk about another subject, which we we had another question, which I remember what was a, that? a while back. It was about it's a completely different. Um, it was about hiring. It was about recruitment. Okay. I think it was about uh, the general gist of it. I can't remember the exact. And I really should, should credit the person who who sent it in. Um, but it was around how do you hire a scrum master? Okay. Um, some laughs from the audience. Some sniggers. Mm. Be interested in what what's behind that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was around what do you look so if you're looking to hire someone into that kind of position facilitator agile coach whatever you want to call them what what skills and attributes are you looking for is that is that what you think the question is about well that's what I thought it was I might have forgotten mm. okay what do you I look think, for I don't I it's not, it's just, I, see I, 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 I interpreted that question differently I interpreted that question of how do you go about finding people and what's the actual recruitment process? Well, let's talk How about do you vet them? Oh, okay. So let's talk about both. All right. So let's start with yours then. How do, how do you find a Scrum Master? I got asked the question... LinkedIn. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so there's answer question to one. Solved. Yeah, next okay. question. Okay. No, I don't know. Um, I used to... I mean, I think a lot of... I think... Um, I like to think recommendation goes a long way in terms of word of mouth and especially mm -hmm. I suppose I, I look at it as localities and maybe Leeds is quite similar that that um, I, I work a lot in Bristol in the kind of Bristol Cardiff area and people will chat to me or message me and say do you know anyone who's around or available to do some some scrum master work or some coaching work and because people like to work in that vicinity mm. and there's only really a handful of companies that you can say are really doing an, an agile approach, um, you know, to, to, an ex to an extent where they you're looking to hire full time or, or, or those types of, types of people, then people tend to know, firstly, who's who's on the circuit, yeah. who's around, who's available, and firstly, who's hiring. So it's it's quite localized down my neck of the woods. Okay, is it similar here? Or is it is it a similar situation in the Leeds community, or is it different? Is it a, a little bit different? Similar, so there's there's probably a, a certain people know who's doing Scrum or who's doing Agile generally or Kanban, whatever that might be. People yeah. know know who's looking, know who's hiring. 
I'm probably opening a bad can of worms here. Go on. But I I generally tell people to come along to things like this. Oh yeah. Well, this I'm not talking about you know, recruiters coming out and doing job fairs or anything. But we have been to I've been to meetups where they've been run by recruitment companies. Mm. Um, I won't name who they are because I'll probably get into a lot of trouble. And they're not but, paying us either. So. And, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I've been asked to go to meetups run by a recruitment company in a certain city with the, and the intent is to basically you, uh, half the audience when I arrived were in suits and ties. Uh, they were they were people looking and actively engaging with anyone who wasn't in a suit and tie. You're saying scrum masters don't wear ties? Maybe. <laughs> um, uh, may, maybe. Um, but yeah, it was it was an active recruitment drive. That was okay. that was a meter. But I I think certainly again I'm talking mainly from the Bath and Bristol kind of community that that I was the part of the user group there for a few years. Is that that was a great place to start if you want to know who's. Yeah. You want to make connections, want to build networks. Those those are a great place to start. My wife hates the fact that um, we do role playing courses. <laughs> she hates that. She says I'm cruel. Um, but we'll do we'll do live coaching. We'll do. Um, uh, let's just imagine this is a scenario. Okay, you want to talk through this conversation. You want to work out how you're going to handle this product owner. Okay, well I'll be the product owner. Let's let's see how it goes, and I will get into character. Um, and just see where see where it leads, and I but I think there's I think there's a huge difference between what people say they do and what they actually do, and the number of times where I will be playing a character in a training course, putting somebody a little bit under pressure, mm. even though they know I'm still a trainer, mm. and they buckle, mm. their principles go from them. Mm. And it's not a the, the the intent is not to sort of put the, put them on the spot and ha ha, but I in, if you're looking at hiring a scrum, how how does this person actually act when mm. they're in a situation? Because anybody can learn the textbook responses, mm. um, but actually, yeah, and I'm I'm as guilty of this as ever. We talked about it on um, podcast a while ago when we were on a we, I was on a plane, and uh, the lady I was sitting next to was getting picked on, and I didn't do anything about mm. it. You know, I know what I should have done. Um, but I didn't. The bystander effect. Yeah. Mm. Um, so how do you act when you're actually in the situation? So one of the companies that I work with a lot, um, I think they did this. I'm not sure I'm not, I'm not making this up now. But what part of their recruitment process was you do a day. It's not You have an interview, but the other part of the interview process was you sit, you basically scrum master for a day, mm. nine to five with a team. I think I'm pretty sure it was the team that was advertising so you'd be in that dropped into that team just to see how if you you know sink or swim type thing mm. and whether you um went about it in the right way the other thing that happens quite a lot now on um training courses that i run is i'll be asked fairly you know as a as a neutral trainer was there anyone in that course that stood out as, okay. as someone who exhibited those kind of instincts those kind of skills um, just just for data really just in terms of to help that process usually when it was an internal hire yeah. someone that they're trying to perhaps um, encourage or discourage from from going for those roles in because it's not for everyone right it's, it's, yeah. it's not something that um, everyone is particularly uh, adept at I think we can probably open this to the floor 
Go for and it. It doesn't necessarily have to be scrum masters. I imagine product owners. I reckon anyone you're hiring for agile coaches. If you've been hired, mm-hmm. what what's been interesting in the process? Mm-hmm. Or if you've been trying to find somebody, what have you found useful in in finding somebody? What any advice from from the, the masses? How do you get someone to work for a day? For a day? Yeah, before you give them a job. <laughs> Chances are they they're not really going to give up their old job to start a new job. Yeah. I don't know. I, mean, I, th- I well, I ch- I think they would. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah. I think if, if I, well, judging from the company that I, I'm t- I can't name who they are, but from the company that did it, this was someone who really did want to work for that company, and was willing to take a day's holiday, to rec- to be part of the recruitment process. They they did that because they wanted the job. They, they did it when they were like down to the final two or three. So it wasn't, they were stand a very good chance of getting the position. It's not like they didn't do it for everyone, but <laughs> they were, you know, they were fairly close, but they wanted the team to be part of that selection criteria. And they were willing because they wanted to work for that company enough. No, that makes sense. I thought you just offered them a job and then you've got a day to prove yourself no 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 this was before they were hired so this was as part of the interview process yeah just the other question was around personality types do you think it takes a a type of personality to be a scrum master sorry do you take a a certain type of personality yeah what what have you found um I, i think it depends on the team to be honest yeah yeah someone that matches the team yeah not necessarily so i think you've you can have a certain skill set, and that can be beneficial. But yeah. if you don't, if you don't match the team dynamic, then you, you're always going to struggle. I think people can be adaptable to that. Yeah. I think, funnily enough, the uh, the four squares of team, you know, the forming, storming, yeah. forming. I think they always play regardless. I think no matter what what happens, if you've got a new element, it always takes you back to the storming part. Certainly does. Yeah. I, I, I don't know whether I believe this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think there's an element of actually a, a, a good scrum master will not, what was the word you used? Match, match the team. I, I think they'll actually challenge the team. I think they'll almost, not conflict, but I think they will provide what the team doesn't have. And I think that's a potential danger with the come, and, come in for a day thing. We've only got a day. I'm probably going to do the things that the team want from me, well, rather than what you? they need from would, me. But would you? Well, I, uh, me. If, if you wanted to prove how good you were, would you be? I would you, you be nicey nicey, or would you, you be? It's who you want to impress, don't you? Yeah. So if I know the team are going to have a say over whether I get this job or not, mm. I'm going to want to leave a favourable impression on them. I think there's a conflict of interest there, potentially. Mm. Possibly. You'd have to be but equally, if, if if the team, so let's say that that team then reviewed that they went with their feedback to whoever was hiring yeah. and said, "Oh, they ask us really difficult questions, mm. and yeah, they really they 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 disrupted this and they disrupted that." Yeah, that, I mean that's just a competency-based check, really. It's, you know, does do they have the skill set to be able to do a day in a in a job? It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be effective in that job. I don't think. <coughs> It's you, with a good test, you can you can probably check that situation. Mm. So maybe I'm not sure. Priming the team for a test, I think it's, it should be normal, natural, right? 
but it can't be natural. Can it? It's like when we go in and coach, people don't act naturally. Mm. They ask you to go in and coach, and as a new, as an external coach, go in, Can you go and observe? The, observe. Uh, I can say it. I'll be the Magnus speaking. Observe, <laughs> observe this team for a day, Paul, and tell us what you think. And they're not going to act naturally, are they? They're not going to be natural. So, can I say this? <laughs> Shall I edit it? Well, do some do some team coaching stuff. And this can be um, for as little as like an hour, or perhaps even less, just observing team dynamics. And the team can know exactly why you're there. They can know that you're there to observe who's doing what and looking for dysfunctional behavior. You don't have to pretend, but you just sit outside of the, to the back. After a few minutes, you're forgotten. As long as you don't make yourself visible and start talking a lot, they'll forget you're there. And actually, you, you can provide a huge amount of value in reflecting back what you're seeing. Um, so yes, for a while they will be a little bit, I want to be wary, but actually when you get into the meat, you think the nitty gritty the of it, tendencies will come through. Yeah, if there's a conflict in that team, mm. that conflict's going to emerge. Mm. I, 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 that passion will outweigh their... It becomes sort of tunnel vision. They forget that you're on the outside. And I suppose if they don't know what they're doing wrong, you know, it's a, it's a kind of in, yeah. unconscious. Mm -hmm. Incompetence. I've been in big trouble. Forget the camera. Forget the camera. Yeah. You're speaking from experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our season six winner over there. <laughs> yeah, so it is interesting. Um, it was more a, a question about the, the the day thing. So the the oops, sorry the day the day thing is probably okay. quite hard to do, right? Yeah. So with lots of other roles, and you said it before, we, we, we often come up with a test. I mean, I don't like the idea of it being a test, yeah. but we have a software dev. Um, we might sit, we might pair with them, we might try and... It is, it's about doing the work, yeah. acting like we're doing the job. Um, I know a few organizations that try and do f sort of fake tests for product owners, for scrum <coughs> masters, for coaches. Mm. You know, run this kind of session, do this, prepare this kind of workshop for yeah. me. Um, I've never seen them work that well. No. Um, what do, what, what normally goes wrong? They're too contrived and they're too compressed. Mm. And I think that's often the case. I mean, I've sat in a planner. How Explain how you would run this kind of workshop before. Explain how you would handle this phase of this project before. Okay. And it's just, it's, it's never a real problem. Whereas if you're, a, if you're, if you're sitting with a, um, a developer or a tester or something like that, you, you get something which is, is a fake problem, but almost feels more real. Yeah. I don't know if I'm explaining it very well. but well, Is it, is it like the kind of the, Goog the Google interview idea where you're, you're the size of a flea and you're trapped inside a blender, what would you do? <laughs> yeah. So that type of thing, to test your lateral thinking skills. Yeah. yeah. I think there's some value to that. I know it's a bit silly and yeah. I'd, I'd be terrible at that. <laughs> I'd never get a job at Google. No. But um, I think there's some benefit to, th to seeing how a scrum master thinks about a problem, how a product owner thinks about a problem. But there's a huge onus on the person doing the analysis of that, understanding the nuance. Um, so you, you, could, you could say, here's a situation, how would you handle it? And someone comes up with a fantastic way of solving that problem. To one person, they can think, brilliant, great problem solver, right? Telling people exactly what to do, the right things to do, manages the situation. Another person might think, Okay, well, what they've really undermined there is all sorts of team ownership. Um, the team feel managed, mm. um, and you get two different candidates. 
So it does put a lot of onus, and that's where I know um, Jem. I can't say his surname. Jihal. Is that it? Jalal. Jihal. I just call him Jem. Yeah. Uh, he does quite a lot of work with HR and recruitment companies he does, he, yeah. in terms of helping them understand what kind of thing, what kind of thought process, mentality, mindset to be looking for in different roles. Uh, yes, yeah, so I think it's just as important. Mm. I think maybe the the product owner hiring, kind of, yeah, the attributes you're looking for would be slightly different. I mm. think you're looking somewhere much more driven. <laughs> oh, crikey, you're a good I friend. I didn't realise I did that. You're a good friend. Freudian slip. Yeah, very good. Anything good question. Else? It's a quick one. It follows on from the previous uh, previous questions. Does a scrum master have to have a technical background? Oh, it's an oldie but a goodie. Oh yeah, an oldie but a goodie. Do <laughs> you want to start? Um, I always so as Jeff referred to there, I used to be very technical, um, but 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 really not that technical. So I I came from a development background, and um, whilst I I like to think that a little bit of knowledge helped me, um, I could I could facilitate a conversation around certain things. Um, it was kind of nice. It was reassuring to me that I never actually knew what the right answer was. Um, and I liked that. And I used that to, to my advantage. You know, I, I was allowed, I was given permission to ask silly questions because I didn't know the answers to them. Um, that may have been, uh, but I can also see some companies that um, I've worked in and worked with really do like a scrum master or a um, someone in that position to really be able to help the team and guide the team technically and I can think of one particular guy who did that really well but also was really good at the job it was just actually very well respected there was a level of respect that came also from being technically quite proficient but he never used it to manipulate people and he never used it to get one over on the team so I think my preference is probably um, it's not universal by any some some scrum trainers that we know would say absolutely you know they have to be technical mm -hmm. I think the uh, there's there's different arguments but in terms of me personally I would put myself at like three or four out of ten a push technical on, on the technical scale but I think some people that I've worked with could do it really well and not abuse the position over to you, Jack. For me, it all comes down to trust. I think the scrum masters who feel they need to be technical, and I use the word need there, not want, that feel they need to be technical are worried. Worried that they're going to have the wool pulled over their eyes. Worried that someone's going to make them look foolish. Um, I think management who think scrum masters need to be technical are worried that the team are going to be out of control. Um, I think it comes down to trust. I genuinely believe, but I have my own confirmation biases. Um, I genuinely believe that the less technical the scrum master is, the more pure coaching that team's going to get. Um, the more, the quicker they're going to self-manage, the quicker they're going to mature, the quicker they're going to grow, the quicker the organisation is going to become more self-sustaining. Um, but that's my background so mm. that's why I think that's a good thing 
I know technical scrum masters who've been brilliant, mm. but they don't they don't play on that. It's also an easy an easy get out when the pressure's on. If you've got an extra developer, basically, it's an extra extra pair of hands around a keyboard, isn't it? Uh, that's attractive to some to some teams to know that they've got you know a little bit of technical technical excellence to fall back on when push comes to shot. Um, and I think it's also to do with it, people have their own um, preferences. If I'm expected to do both a technical role and a people one, but I really prefer to do the technical stuff, I'll find a way to do more technical work. And when a really tricky conflict comes up or a people situation arises, or which which task am I? Oh, just let me just finish this task. Someone's going to suffer. Yeah. Either that individual or the team. And I'm I'm, exper I'm coaching a company at the moment that's, they've asked me to help one of the scrum masters who's, and they describe him. He's got his head down. When the, then there's things going on around him that he is almost almost deliberately not seeing, because he wants to bury his head. His reaction is to bury his head further into his keyboard than to just look up and see what's going on in his team around him. And that, for me, that's similar to Jeff, that's, that could be more of a, an issue longer term than the short term need to get done what I've got done, done that I'm doing right now. Which is probably gonna come, come across as patronizing, but I feel sorry for people in that situation mm. because they're, they're conflicted. They're conflicted between what they enjoy and what they're obligated to do. Uh, and it's kind of a lose-lose situation for them. Yeah. And the organisation. Flipping it on its head, then, uh, how is important? How important is it then for technical people, your developers and stuff, to be scrum aware, to be kind of or agile aware, and to be how important is it for them to be able to offer a an alternative to say what your agile lead is. What to challenge that person yeah, to in that challenge position? It, to, to, so to yeah, now how important is it for your devs to? I think understand great. really what's going on. I think anything. I think um, any, if you can rely on anyone in the team to um, pick it, pick someone up, even if it's the scrum master or that coach in that position, say, hang on a minute, I don't agree with that, or I, I think maybe that's we're missing a trick here. I think that's brilliant. Um, some people say, oh, that's a bit controversial, but um, if you've if that's a safe conflict to occur where it's not trying to sabotage or yeah not trying to deliberately undermine or um, abuse someone's position I, if it's healthy I think that's good a good thing within a team yeah and that's the way you learn right that's the way by challenging what we've been told to do is how we change things so if you were going to be a scrum master kind of as a career then it's not so important to be technically minded but as a technical person it's you'd say more important than to be well, I'm agile-minded. Agile I'm going to bring this back to your first question, which is that I can be a scrum master outside of software. And the objectives of that person are the same regardless of the domain. They're to create a self-managing, high-performing high team, delivering valuable chunks of whatever it is that they're building. So do I need to understand the how how drugs are developed to be a scrum master in a pharmaceutical company no i need to know how people work i need to know how teams work i need to know how organizations and complex adaptive systems work that's the common factor uh, it's just so tempting 
for someone with a technical background to, to jump into that role. Um, so if I was looking for a career as a scrum master, then I would be going away from technical because I would want to be able to cross domains. But that is just me. Any other questions? Come on. One more. Yes, Steve. So you guys are really respected trainers in the industry. What's the one question or the one thing that pops up most regularly as a problem in your kind of training courses, the things that people bring to that and, and ask? Mm. There, it, similar to what was asked before is that, yes, Paul, that's all great, but, but how does it solve my problems? Or, um, my project's different or you know, my company's a bit special. <laughs> it's 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 the um, it's the specifics. It's people. I think we're quite. I think we're quite impatient. Is that people? We're very solutions focused. We want to know. Here's my problem. Like going to the doctors. This is my. You know. This is what I'm experiencing. Here, tell me what the fix is. Give me a tablet. Give me a tablet for it. It's that. It's that type. Of, we're expecting almost those types of transactions in a two-day, one-day training course, whatever it might be. And that's very tough. And sometimes it's quite unpopular to say, well, I don't really know. Um, I'm a lot more comfortable now with saying I don't really know because I generally don't really know. But the, I think it's people that, um, or attendees that I get that are asking very specific questions about maybe very specific people or very specific processes they, that they have. And they want to be able to manipulate what I'm telling them in a way that will make it work for what they need it to do and some people it's me maybe I'm being flippant and, and being a bit blunt but I'd say well really let's assume that what you're doing is wrong um, how could if, if, I, if what I'm saying is fundamentally right how could what you're doing be fundamentally wrong and sometimes that that's People can't process that. It's, well, no, it's it's working. You know what we're doing now is working. So it's it's quite hard that people try to break and manipulate something that's been working for years into something that they want it to fit their process. That that's quite common, and they want something very tailored and very bespoke to work for them. How is Scrum or how is Agile going to work for me and my mm. company? Because we do things this way. That's quite common. There's, there's a few laughs about that. Sniggers. They're not laughing at you. I think they're laughing with you. Yeah. I don't know. I think um, so. For me, tell me if you think I'm being too generic and dodging the question here, Steve. Um, for me, it's how can I get person X to do Y? Right. So it could be how do I get my manager to adopt the agile mindset? How can I get my product owner to actually prioritize his backlog? How can I get this mouthy developer to shut down, shut up in a retrospective? How can I get this quiet developer to speak up in a retrospective? It's how can I get somebody else to do something that I want them to do? Um, and you just substitute X and Y for whatever. And my, my typical response is, you might be able to, but the person you have most control over is you. Um, and you are part of this problem. Like it or not, you are part of this problem. So how are you contributing to this problem? And how can you create the conditions where this person who is 
presumably acting rationally from their from their circumstances and their perspective act rationally differently at the moment they're doing what is right what makes sense so what would make something else make sense um, it's very most people are looking outwards so and so needs to do this differently for this to work so and so needs to change for this to work rather than looking okay what can I do you know, what, what do I need to do how am I contributing to this situation uh, so that for me is is kind of the biggest that was the biggest light bulb for me when I was part of the team thinking oh, I'm, I'm turning up and I'm actually encouraging without realizing I'm encouraging this dysfunctional behavior I'm I'm creating coping mechanisms for the behavior that I want to change mm. uh, I'm, I'm endorsing it in a way so well I'm gonna stop that for a for a start we've probably got time for maybe one more question okay. does anyone else want to ask anything else last chance yes There's one at the front He's been making a lot of notes. I'm expecting a good question. That's a long, a long question, a long-winded question. So, um, in a in a retrospective, um, what what's an ideal retrospective? What what would it contain? Oof, an ideal retrospective. Wow. How long have we got? Uh, about six minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ideal retrospective. Something. I, I'm a big fan of focused retrospectives. So rather than just oh what went well and what you know what can we do better, <laughs> let's let's focus on a particular area and see if we can get better at that, in some small way. An ideal retrospective would be uh, one where everybody could see the value in spending their time being there. The problem was analysed objectively. Various alternative solutions were considered and at least one actionable takeaway comes out of it how's that nice i like it um and and <laughs> but and. i never read my book um, <laughs> um i like to I think a good retrospective is something where I'm not going to, I wanted to use the word relaxed, but I think that's wrong. So I'm going to use the word is safe. Um, that the environment is such where people can say what they really think without any fear of consequences. Um, and it's something that could be, I and mean, it could be an environmental thing. It could be just a, I've I've done some I've been part of some retrospectives that have just literally they've been un completely unstructured, they were just an hour, of getting stuff off your chest. Have an hour, and it's 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 slightly contrary to what you say, Jeff, but in terms of structure and balance. But what that team needed was, they needed a big exhale of of basically get it all off your chest now, and then we come back in tomorrow and we start again. Um, and it could have been. You know, throwing stuff around the room. It could have been anything. It could be just shouting expletives at a wall. But they just needed to get stuff off their chest, and that was what they they needed at that time. I always the other thing I I like is a little bit of um, abstraction, metaphor, um, things like we've we um, go on about this a lot. But we use a lot of video clips of showing videos and then asking people to reflect on videos. We do a lot of games or um, themes and metaphors. Some people love that. Some people hate it. I love it. That's just me. Um, 
and games is the other thing I like to do. I think I think you can create a, an element of safety by playing. If people believe that playing is a benefit and playing is about learning rather than winning and losing, I think actually playing games strengthens teams, but I think it also increases the capacity to learn in a different way, educate and learn in a different way. Cool. How was that? That's good. Yeah, thank you. Good. Thanks. <laughs> we'll take good. All right. Time to wrap up. Yeah. So um, there we are. Another live one done. In the can. <coughs> so um, should we put a, a shout out to wow. any other user groups? It's all about community and it's all about the people. Um, so if you would like to run one of these in one of your user group sessions. Contact Paul. <laughs> <laughs> you can contact. Northeast. Agile Northeast. Northeast. There you go. That's the next one. That's so we'll put, we'll put That's that proper the, up north. We'll put that in the diary. Um, no, but it's, it's a, it, we're we're touring. We need a we need a sponsorship. So if any of the sponsors out there <laughs> would like to pay us money, we don't want to be sponsored. No, we don't want that. But we need if anyone wants to buy us a bus, we'd like a tour bus. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, tour bus. Yeah. We I'll, could do I'll that. Um, no, but but um, yeah, we'd uh, we'd like to do more of these. We enjoy them. All right, thanks for joining in, peeps. Yeah, thank you, very much. and thank you. Give us a cheers. Cheers, everyone. So cheers. cheers. <laughs>